0: We have been hearing the challenge from James over our personal relationships. We've been in James chapter 4. Why don't you go there with me this morning? James chapter 4. We've been hearing his challenge to, to our own hearts, our own lives over our personal relationships, our relationships with others. And we're learning that What's going to be required of us as if we're God's people, if we're followers of Christ and we're serious about this, what's going to be required of us is that we take a very serious look at our own hearts first. James is challenging us. James is suggesting, he's not suggesting, he's he's telling us from God, as a message through James from God, that if we're struggling with our personal relationships and and many of us have varying degrees of difficulties with people, yes, if we're struggling, then the answer is not to lose hope. The answer is not to accuse others of of failing in their relationships with us. The answer first is to take another look at our own hearts, to look at our own attitudes. And now we come to verses 7 through 10 this morning in James chapter 4, And we are reminded that this is a serious challenge for everyone. I mean, it's a a challenge because it's a difficulty. Overcoming our conflicts is difficult, right? Overcoming our hardships with others and our relationships with others is hard work. But we find here the help that we need in dealing with our own hearts. And we must have help. We desperately need help. We heard James make that point earlier in chapter 4, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you. And then he says, it's the passions that wage war within you. It's the passions that wage war within you and me that cause us the most grief in our personal relationships with others. And because these are ongoing struggles within each one of us, we each need ongoing help. Now, not only is the struggle going on within, we have this to deal with. The believer in Jesus Christ also has a foe, has an enemy, the devil. And he is working against us and against God to keep us quarreling. You realize that? Satan wants us to keep fighting with each other, thinking it's all the other person's fault. It couldn't be me. It couldn't possibly be me, but God's word says otherwise. It says, what's your problem? Look within. And so again, we need help. And praise God, we have help. We have help. We see it in the text before us this morning. We have God's help. But there is something God requires of us if we're to have his help. Something God requires of us if we're going to be able to take advantage of his help. And James tells us here what it is. I want you to look with me at verses 7 through 10 in James chapter 4. Verse 7, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn. And weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Now, to those who give honor to God, James is telling us, to those who give honor to God, God gives help. God gives grace to the humble. We learned it last time here, verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. To those who humble themselves before God, to those who honor God, God honors by giving his grace. Now, we need to face this fact. We are weak we are going to have struggles. We are going to have ongoing struggles with our own passions, our own selfish desires going on within us, waging war within us. But God in His mercy shows us His multiplied grace, His help to overcome sin. And He does so when we humble ourselves before Him. And that's what James comes back to here in verse 7. The path to honoring God The path to having God's multiplied grace, having his help in your life to overcome sin and help to bring peace to your relationships, says James, is found in this. It is found in submitting to God because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, says James. And then verse 7, he says, submit yourselves therefore to God. You see, the fact is we have a choice to make. We have a choice. And we either choose the world's way or we choose God's way. And James has made it clear, choose the world's way, and you're being proud and selfish, and God will resist you. Let me just ponder that for a moment. The creator of the universe resisting you. But choose God's way and you will have God's help. Which means you will have the same power that resists you, if you're proud, in your favor. The creator of the universe, the power of the infinite God working on your behalf to help you. And you will have all the resources which God makes available to those who are his at your disposal to help you in your relationships with others. So James is telling us here that God's way is to humble one's self before him. And to have the resources and help of God working on your behalf, you must humble yourself before God. And that means that you must choose. You have a choice. You must make a conscious choice to do things God's way. Now we heard from James last week that we have conflicts with people and we struggle with people because we are living like the world. We're, we're becoming worldly when we act like the world. In other words, we're operating like the world does. We're allowing ourselves to be led by our own jealousy and selfish ambitions and we have become spiritual adulterers, says James, as we saw in the passage last week, because when we live like the world, we're acting like we don't belong to Christ. But those who belong to Christ are to first submit to God. Note it. Mark it down. You want the resources that God offers you at work on your behalf, in your relationships with others. Then here are the steps to having them, says James. First, submit your life to God. That's number one. Submit to God. And as I've said before, That first, most important step of submission to God is seeking the Lord's forgiveness for your sins. It must begin there. That is your only hope. The first submission to God means you repent of your sins and you trust in Jesus Christ for your eternal salvation. And if you have never repented of your sin before God and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, then that is your first order of business today. And I would suggest you take care of it. <laughs> Do not wait. Even now, even at this moment, offer up your repentance to God and trust in his Son and be saved. Submit to the Lord Jesus today. Now, for all who have taken that first step and have submitted to God for salvation, God calls on each and every one of you and me to choose to keep submitting. A Submission to God in, in repentance of sin is not the, the only submission God expects of us. He wants us to keep submitting to Him. And what James has in mind when he says here in verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God, is a decision to do things God's way. We have choices to make. And God allows us to make those choices. Are we going to choose to do things God's way this week? Or are we going to do things the world's way this week? This is a decision we have to make. And a decision that we can honor God with, or we can dishonor God with. The believer who is submitting to God is saying to God this, and to himself this, this is important we're going to say to God, I submit to you, and we're going to say this to ourselves too, that I submit to God, is saying these kinds of things. I will do things your way, Lord. Also, along with that, I want to know what your way is. And so, Lord, I want to know your word. So, God, here's what I'm praying, but I want it to be your way. I'm not going to say my way or the highway, Lord. I want it to be your way. I will do things your way. Lord, I want your priorities to be my priorities. Lord, I want to fulfill your desire and your ambitions for my life. I don't want to be guilty of living selfishly. I don't want to be called worldly by you, Lord, because I'm living like the world, uh, living by my passions and my selfish pursuits. Lord, I want your will to shape my life. That is a proper attitude of submission to God. But remember, we have an adversary. We, we may have good intentions, and we have a choice to make. It's not all the devil's fault, you know. Sometimes we just plain choose to do the wrong things without even consulting the devil. You know, We don't need his help to choose to do the wrong things. But we do have an adversary, an enemy, who wishes for us to resist this kind of thinking. And so that's why I'm suggesting this is the kind of thinking that we need before God. God, this is what I want of my life. I want it to honor you. But it's also the kind of thinking we need to challenge ourselves with. And we need to resist the devil. That's number two. Resist the devil, says James. James says that you also need to choose, and this is your choice. You can choose to do this or you can choose not to do this. You need to resist the devil. And there is a wonderful promise from God's Word here for all who are believers in and followers of Christ. James says, look at verse 7 again, last half of verse 7, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Amen. Praise God. I mean, think about that. Resist the devil and he will flee from you? And this is something we're to take very seriously. We must choose to strongly resist the devil. Now, what am I talking about? How do you do that? I'm not going to go with those who would say you talk to the devil and tell him to get away from me. You know, get up, get away from me, Satan. You leave me alone. It's not what God's word teaches us to do. How do we resist the devil? I would suggest that God's word teaches us that we resist the devil not by talking to the devil and telling him to leave us alone, we'll let God take care of that. No, we resist the devil by refusing to do the things that he wants us to do. So this means that when he wants you to doubt God, you refuse to doubt God, and you choose to believe God in his word instead. So when Satan tempts you to believe that there is more pleasure in sin than in obedience, you choose to say no to Satan by saying yes to God and being obedient to God and saying no. God's word tells me there is far more joy in obedience than there is in sin. So I'm saying no to sin, and that is resisting the devil. And resisting the devil means that when he wants you to deny that God is is only working for your good, as we learned back in chapter 1, we instead believe and trust in what we heard back in chapter 1 in James one seventeen. that God is only giving what is good. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, says James one seventeen, And says Romans 8.28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so we resist the devil by strongly believing in God's word and taking steps of obedience that, that identify uh, that, that we actually believe what God's word says. So resisting the devil means that instead of disobeying God as Satan wants us to, in faith we strongly resist the devil by obeying God's word. And for access to all of God's gracious resources on our behalf, helping us overcome our own selfish sinfulness in our relationships, we must submit to God and resist the devil. And, says James, we must, number three, draw near to God. Draw near to God. Not only are we to resist the devil, but we are to draw near to God. This is one of those reminders that not only are we to put off the bad, but we are to put on the good, right? And there is to be that diligence on our part. We don't just want to kick sin out. We want to bring the goodness of God's work in us in by obedience to his wonderful and gracious word, It's a good thing to put off what God calls wrong, but it's even better to also choose to put on in its place what God calls right. You see, putting off what is wrong is only half obedience. We must put in its place what God says is right to do. And this is another precious promise from God's Word. Look at the first half of verse 8 again draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Isn't that great? I mean, think about the contrast of what we heard just before. Resist the devil and he will flee. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So God gives more grace, says verse 6. God is gracious, and those who humble themselves before God, those who draw near to God, God will, in turn, draw near to them. Now, how does this happen in our lives? How do we draw near to God? James says, the second half of verse 8, he says, Get yourselves clean. Here's how you draw near to God. Get clean. Look at look at the rest of verse 8. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, cleanse your hands, you sinners. We're not talking about using um purel or whatever we use when we wash our hands. You know, we're not going to talking about going in and scrubbing our hands. That's not what James is talking about. He's not talking about washing our hands. This is symbolic of our conduct. This is symbolic of our outward actions. And what James is saying to believers here is that you must commit yourself before God to doing what is right. It's one thing to say, I believe in God's word. I believe this is right. James says, cleanse yourself and do what's right. Do it. Do it. Commit yourself before God to doing the right things and start doing them. Don't delay. And then he says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. And that's symbolic of setting your heart in the right direction. Don't be so double-minded. I mean, we live in the world, don't we? We live on planet Earth, and it's easy for us to be double-minded. I want to please the Lord, but I'm kind of having fun with sin, I think. Right? And devil would love for us to believe that. Purify your heart, you double-minded. That's symbolic of setting your heart in the right direction. It's setting your heart on things above, not on things that are on the earth, says Paul, Colossians 3.2. It's being single-minded. The idea is being single-minded in your devotion to God and refusing to have a divided heart with one foot in wanting to do God's will and one foot in wanting to do what your own selfish desires entice you to do. And we draw near to God by getting serious about our sins, says James. Look at it, verse 9. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. There is nothing funny about our sins. Think about it. Drawing near to God means you agree with God about the serious nature of your sin. How serious did God Take sin very seriously, God sent his sinless son to die a cruel death on the cross so so that all who believe in him would be completely cleansed, completely forgiven. that's taking sin very seriously, and we not and we dare not take it any less seriously than God. God now calls the forgiven that is, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, to take seriously their own sin. We don't make light of that. We're to make make a serious approach to sin. We're to long to be done with it, seek to be done with it. We we aren't to make light of sin. God certainly does not. But note that when James says here in verse 9, to be wretched, you might wonder about that. You look and go, what? Be wretched and mourn and and weep, let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom, does, does that mean we're not supposed to smile? No, no fun? No laughing aloud? He's not suggesting that. James is not suggesting that Christians are to never experience joy, never to laugh, never to be pleasant, to be around. That would be contrary to God's word, in fact. It's not that there's no joy as followers of Christ. It's the right kind of joy. It's joy that's not based on being worldly and sinful because you're pursuing the passions and lusts of the flesh, but joy that's yours because you're honoring the Lord Jesus Christ by your obedience and you're enjoying the things that he has blessed you with as you obey him. No, the believer must set his heart on new affections and we must be diligent to set our heart on new affections the things of this world cannot satisfy the follower of christ i mean we might get excited about the next new tv show or you know the next new whatever but those are earthly things that don't account don't don't, don't have an account in our in our heavenly kind of thinking you see without christ and think about your life before christ Without Christ, we pretended to have it all figured out. Without Christ, we acted like we were having fun, doing our own thing, all the while miserable and headed for hell. So what he is saying, what James is challenging us with, is that those who are drawing near to God are those who don't take lightly the serious nature of their sins and the price that was paid that they might be forgiven and take seriously killing sin from here on out in their life. And they take very seriously the damage that unchecked sin will do to their relationships with others and to their own soul and to their relationship with God, because God resists those who are proud. God resists those who who won't take seriously their sin. So James says, so be wretched. Be wretched. In other words, feel the wretched weight of your sins and weep and repent. I am concerned that we think too highly of ourselves. And and you won't hear me building you up to say, look in the mirror this week and tell yourself what a great person you are. Because if you read God's word, you're going to hear a different message. God's word says you're a filthy, rotten sinner. And so am I. But there's hope for filthy, rotten sinners in Jesus Christ. Praise God. So James says, be wretched. Feel the the wretched weight of your sins and weep over them and repent for them. Mourn over your sins and draw near to God. Let Let your grief over your sins compel you to to trust in Jesus Christ and depend on him every day. Draw near to God as you resist the devil. Because when you resist the devil and draw near to God, the devil yields and retreats and God responds and draws near. Now that is a wonderful truth. And because this is serious, just as we heard James challenging us in verse 7, that the only right attitude for the believer before God is one of submission, now he says it again. He keeps saying this. At the end of our passage here, verse 10, look at it again. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Why do you think James says essentially the same thing so many times? I mean, earlier he said, submit yourselves. And then he said, humble yourself. And then he said, oh, oh, don't forget, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And then he says again, humble yourselves. Why does he repeat himself? Well, why do you repeat yourself? Now, I understand that some of you forgot what you said, and you say it again because you forgot you said it. I'm with you. But some of us say things again for effect, don't we? And we want people to get the message. My kids tell me that I preach at home too. And they have even encouraged me, some of my older children, that's okay, keep telling us those things that we need to hear. Like, okay. Tell them again, right? And James is telling us again. Why? Because this is really important. He's telling us for effect, for emphasis, to make clear that this is critical and this is very important. Why? Well, think about why. Why do you struggle and argue and fight? Back to verse 1, right? Why do you struggle and fight, asked James at the beginning of chapter 4. Well, we do because it's the struggle from within that we yield to. Our own selfish sinfulness, we fight and we argue with one another because we yield to our own selfish and sinful desires, those passions that wage war within each and every one of us. We fight and we argue with one another because we yield to those. The cause of our troubles is selfishness. The cause of our troubles is pride. So, says James, the antidote, here's the medicine. And this is a good medicine. (laughs) Says James, the cure for our troubles is submission to God. Surrender yourself to God's will. And don't miss here in verse 10 that James adds that the believer must humble himself before the Lord. Think about that. Humble yourself before the Lord. You're mighty and awesome, in charge and in control, creator God. Humble yourself before the Lord who cannot be duped Who cannot be, who cannot be lied to. You can, you can lie, but he knows, right? You see, we're to submit in an attitude and, and with actions before God that demonstrate a right heart attitude that's one of true humility. You cannot fake this before God. We can fake it before each other, but we cannot fake this before God. We're not to do this so that others will see our humility and praise us. Oh, what a humble person that person is. How faithful and obedient to God. They're so humble. That's not not why we do this. And we don't go through the motions so that others will see and praise us for our humility. You see, a true heart of humility before God is what God requires of us. And James says, and he will exalt you. Humble yourself before the all-knowing Lord. And and when he sees that your heart is right and he sees that you're, you're honoring him by your humility before him, he will exalt you. In other words, God will honor you. God will help you. Only true humility before God will be blessed by God, says James. We've got to guard against making the reward the motive for humility, don't we? In our flesh, we say, there's reward. And, and frankly, we're told about it, aren't we? <laughs> James is good to say, hey, there's reward. But we need to be careful that we're not just making, making ourselves. We're going through the motions of humility because I'm waiting for this reward. Because God knows our hearts. If we only choose humility for the reward, then we likely aren't truly humbling ourselves before God as those who are truly unworthy of any reward. We don't deserve reward, do we? It's only in Christ that we deserve reward because he's worthy of the reward and he gives it to us. We are unworthy of any of God's blessings. We ought to humble ourselves before God because he is the Lord. He is the creator God, the king of all creation. He is mighty. He created us and he took mercy on us and sent his son to die on the cross, taking on himself the punishment for our sins. And so we ought to humble ourselves before him because he is gracious. And, oh, by the way, there's reward. <laughs> now That's a challenge, isn't it? We struggle with that. But our hearts humble before God properly seek to serve and honor and obey him because he is mighty, he is gracious, he is good. And all joy is ours. God's blessings are ours when we humble ourselves before him. And God knows our heart, just as James says. It's the same thing we hear in Proverbs 28:18, when it says, whoever walks in integrity will be delivered. God knows our hearts. But he who is crooked in his ways will suddenly fall. God knows our hearts, doesn't he? He knows where our true passions lie. God gives grace to he gives grace to and exalts those who humble themselves before him he gives help bringing peace to our relationships with people as we individually humble ourselves before God and as we draw near to him help from God is is every believer's it's ours if we will choose to submit to God and draw near to him while resisting the devil. It's just as we heard from Psalm 24 earlier. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he, will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Praise God. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, what a challenge this is for us. In our humanity, living on this, this earth, we struggle to put off the flesh to live Christ-like, God-glorifying lives, but you have given us these precious promises. And, And through James, you have given us these precious reminders that you are so good to bless with multiplied grace and honor and help and encouragement when we humble ourselves before you. Oh God, I pray, help us to see how good and great and mighty you are and gracious you are. And God, I pray that we would be compelled, that the children of God today would be compelled to humble themselves, to take a serious account of their own hearts and lives, willing to submit to your ways. With with this heart cry, God, help my actions and my conduct to please you. Help my desires and passions to be your desires and passions. And oh God, I pray that your people, that we would... Humble ourselves before your word, seeking your truth, being willing to obey, and then taking steps of obedience, knowing that those who resist the devil, the devil flees from them. And those who draw close to God, you draw close to, and we praise you for that. What a wonderful blessing is ours. So God, I pray, help your children to humble themselves. Help them to see the necessity of this and help them to see the joy of this. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.